I wanna go where the moon shines bright. I wanna dance. Welcome everyone to another episode of the It Matters to Me podcast. Now quick, when's the last time you had to give a public speech? Or better yet, when was the last time you told a joke that lit up a room with laughter and applause? Most of us dream of having the wit and personality that captivates a room, but rarely do we ever put that to the test. Well, my guest today isn't one of those people, and he's made it his personal mission to chase down a dream that I bet most people really underestimate the level of commitment needed just to be successful. His name is Mark Masters, and he's been performing stand-up comedy since 2018 and has been rising through the comedic ranks ever since. We talk about what first motivated him to take up comedy and how after almost countless nights on stage in dark bars with sometimes unforgiving crowds, he's fallen in love with a craft. While I'm not a comedian myself, I've been a fan of how comedians and their process gets developed for a long time and I think that there are some great crossovers between a good stand-up comic and our everyday lives. This is yet another great conversation with a seriously funny guest that I was super excited to have on the show. So, all right, let's get to my talk with Mark Masters. All right, everyone, welcome to yet another episode of the It Matters to Me podcast with my guest today, Mark Masters. Mark, how you doing? I'm awesome, man. Thanks for having me here. This is quite the setup. Usually, you know, this is obviously still a new kind of like project for me, and I 100% still get nervous uh, before I talk to anybody. But for, <laughs> for some reason today, as I was thinking about it, I was, you know, I, I was kind of correlating how your you know, you're a stand-up comedian and, you know, and I've tried to do a little bit of research on you and, you know, I, I must admit, I didn't get to read all of your book, but I've read parts of your book. Okay. And, um, just like your, your honesty and about, you know, being up on stage and how just like nervous you are. I don't know. Just put me at ease before going into this interview because it's oh, good. Cause yeah. Cause now I can, I, I feel like I can in some ways relate to like, Oh well, he's nervous before he goes on stage. So hopefully, he understands that I'm nervous before I even like get on. Oh the call well, I, if you wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have known anything. The people can't see this right now, but there is like the most sophisticated interface. Like I've recorded a lot of podcasts, you know. Like I've been in like somebody's living room with a dog like licking me. I've been in all kinds of. That was pre-COVID, by the way. That was all kinds of situations, and this is like I don't know. We got this fancy software. My, uh, it just it's very impressive. I'm impressed. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, I could hear, well, if you haven't heard it already, I've got a, a puppy in the background who's probably going to make an appearance, but okay. thankfully she won't be licking you um, okay. or anything. <laughs> but yeah, so Art, Mark, well, one thing I'm getting into when I start these episodes is because I really like to give more personal feel to, you know, the, the interview and make it more of a conversation. And one way I like to do that is really asking about, you know, somebody and how they grew up or what, you know, what they were like as a kid to see if there's any relationship between then and now. And so I was wondering if I, we were sitting here today and you and I were best friends growing up, we're talking like elementary school. What kinds of stories do you think I'd be telling about you at that age? 
Oh, dude, you'd definitely be talking about the Nintendo Entertainment System. You look too young to, to really grasp onto that. I don't know about your listeners, but just think of it like Xbox 20 years prior, much less complicated. It had two buttons and a directional pad. It, was super, it wasn't as simple as the, the joystick for the Atari, but uh, I used to <laughs> love that thing. And I played Zelda. You know, they have fancy Zelda now, but this was like two-dimensional, 8-bit graphics. <laughs> and I played that thing like it was going out of style. It was, it was very difficult. You couldn't, like, there was no internet to cheat on. And I spent so many afternoons and evenings just trying to figure out. It was so frustrating. I really, I credit Zelda with, like, a lot of my success later in life. So when people get like upset about video games and kids are like, eh, it's fine. I kind of on the kid on the kid's side because I, I really feel like the video games when I was a child, which, you know, my parents and adults were like, why does he spend so much time doing that? It gave me it taught me patience. It taught me uh, you know, to stick with something even when you're not good at it, which is so relatable to comedy, by the way. Uh, and really anything in life, like podcasting right now. Like maybe the first couple of ones of these you did they weren't great but you didn't quit and you're still going and uh yeah i credit that all to zelda so we'd probably nerd out about zelda and how level eight was so difficult why was level eight why didn't they show you the map and why didn't i think to draw out the map on graph paper i wish i was smarter when i was like 12 years old maybe i don't know if 12 is right 10 years old i don't know either way you know I'm hindsight like is six yeah i think 12 was a good guess <laughs> so, yeah. yeah well you know like you, you kind of alluded to you know it, it taught you patience and you know the uh, part of the reason why i wanted to have you on the show today is because you're a stand-up comedian and that is yeah. just a world that i you know like everybody i've probably seen one too many netflix documentaries not even documentaries but netflix shows about it and of course you know i've seen probably some of the greats stand up on you know in video never really in person and so i feel like i i 100% have a general or I have a, a giant mischaracterization of it in my mind, but I want to hear about how, he, how you evolved into stand-up comedy because it's been fairly recent as far as I know, right? Yeah, I'm about three years into stand-up comedy, which is, it's a long time when you got those, uh, you know, waiting at a bar until one in the morning for three minutes of low quality stage time. It ages you. I'm like advanced I'm old already, but I'm like advanced age from these long, <laughs> the, and the stools are never comfortable. It's, it's, uh, yeah, about three years though, pretty, pretty early for my age, which is, it's a funny thing. Like in life, in software, for example, if I worked in software, age is def, there's definite ageism, right? Like in, when people are hiring and talking about, you know, old people, they have kids, they can't work as hard. They're not going to work on a Saturday, you know? And uh, that's, you know, you're not supposed to say any of that, but those conversations happen. In comedy, it's totally different. People, you know, I'm in Iowa City, Iowa, and somebody sees me and they're like, oh, that guy must be a really good comedian because he's, you know, twice the age of anybody else here. <laughs> My dirty secret is, you know, I've been doing it about as long as everybody there. I, I don't volunteer that information in, in certain <laughs> situations. I take advantage of my age, uh, which is nice. And what was, what was that first moment that made you, you know, cause what would that, what was that first moment that made you say like, you know what, I feel like I should give this a shot. Yeah. So this is a little bit of spoiler from the book, but your audience, it, maybe it, it, it teases them into, into checking it out. It's called not good yet. If you're in the, uh, in the Denver area, it's in the public libraries, 
There are lot, lots of ways to get it for free if you can't afford it. Just reach out to me at uh, markmasters.co. Uh, that, that's CO like Colorado or cholera if you don't spell so good. <laughs> Hence the, uh, the, the cough <laughs> in preparation for this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. By the way, let's address that real quick. So I'm going to... I, I wasn't sure if it was going to act up, but it, it looks like it's going to act up. I have something called vocal cord dysfunction, which which is very unfortunate to have during COVID. I'm not like hurting or anything. It's just my vocal cords are angry and they want they want to cough. And I'm I'm going to like a very expensive coach, and I've seen doctors and allergists and been poked and prodded over the last six months to try and fix it. It's a uh, it's kind of a disaster. For a stand-up comedian, but for like a straight white male comedian, you know, having a disability maybe not the worst thing in the world. That's you heard it here first, folks. That's that's a joke that's going to get me canceled and is going to make this podcast famous. Uh, I'm just nobody can see this, but I, I look like Harry Houdini right now, trying to get out of this fleece because it is. I'm in a studio closet right now with like these huge LED lights. It's like 89 degrees in here, and I'm just baking. I'm melting right now so where are was you, I? Oh, yeah. are so you growing something in this closet of yours am i no no this is for the lighting you know i guess i don't need the fancy lighting since we're not saving this video but it's like muscle memory this is this is my studio where i, I do show every friday night i do a 30 minute comedy show the comedy test kitchen uh so, sometimes i do it for my car sometimes a raccoon shows up totally true so cool this lady who has a domesticated raccoon uh sometimes gets on the show i have a great picture i'll email it to you later of the raccoon watching me do stand up online i have a feeling that people listening to this right now think i'm like 80 years old so let's clarify i'm between 40 and 50 uh i might be coughing like the emperor in return of the jedi but i'm, I'm not that old i'm, I'm young and i recently got a haircut too i look to me i, I look like 10 years young i didn't cut i was cutting my hair with kitchen shears for like 13 months and now i look uh, presentable again, not like a woolly mammoth. Anyway, so I got the cough. You're going to hear it occasionally. You know, the, vo the the voice coach would tell me to stop talking, but you can't stop talking in the middle of a, a podcast interview. So we're just going to fight through it. We're going to deal with it. Hopefully you'll clean it up in post-prod, I'm sure. Usually I'm 100% like, I'll just make a joke about anything. But in some ways it's like, oh man, I don't know if I should be making jokes to him because oh, you I don't make jokes about anything. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Uh, joke about anything. You can, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't land and I just look at you funny, you can always edit it out later, I guess. Uh, but anyways, yeah, the cough, it's very, especially during COVID, it's been a real challenge because, uh, I don't know, as you can imagine, if you dry cough in a grocery store, like people, it's like part in the Red Sea, like I'm Moses, people are running for the hills. Um, so Anyways, well, I, I, there was a question. Oh, like, well, how did I get started? Okay, so here's a story from the book. The book's called Not Good Yet. Check it out at notgoodyet.com. And like I mentioned, lots of easy ways to get it for free. You can't afford it. I do love it if you buy it. The best way is to contact me directly, and I'll autograph it and mail it to you with some stickers. And it's a, I make more money. You get a better deal. But you can get it on Amazon and all kinds. I also recorded the audio book. But anyways, in that book, I tell a story about how I got started in stand-up comedy, which is basically your question. And, and it's kind of the, the, the direct answer is a little boring. It was just a New Year's resolution. Like I made a bunch of, I, I was, for, for you young kids, like New Year's resolutions are probably still like super important. As you get older, it's kind of like birthdays. Like 
like New Year's resolutions become less important. And some years that you're just like super motivated and you make a bunch of them and some years you don't. And for whatever reason, three-ish years ago, I made a bunch of New Year's resolutions. And then I kind of sat on them for a long time. Like any good, lazy stand-up comedian, I did not do anything about them. And it wasn't until like June-ish, so six months into the year, that I was like, I need to do some of these New Year's resolutions. And comedy was one of them. I went to an open mic just to watch it. And I got like violently ill. Like I was so nervous. I've never been nervous like that before really in my life. And I got sick to my stomach just watching other comics perform. And But the cool thing was some of them were really bad. And so whenever there was a really bad comic, I thought, well, I, I, I'm probably better than them, which is not true, by the way. I was, I was, there was like false bravado right there. I, I wasn't any better than them. But so anyways, I, I, I went to another open mic, watched it, and then I eventually performed. So that, that was the origin story. And that first moment, I mean, the, the nervousness, I just, uh, for me, and I'm not one of those people who actually has a fear of public speaking. Like I've actually, uh, yeah, it's just nothing. It's not something I shy away from. And I mean, it's not something I've openly volunteer for, but I'm not in that camp of, you know, I think some, maybe, maybe it's apocryphal, but there's some uh, supposed statistic that like a certain majority of people have a higher fear of public speaking than death or something should, like that. Should we pause for a second so everybody can Google apocryphal and so I can look in my dictionary <laughs> what apocryphal means? How do you spell AP? Uh, I'm looking it up right now for those people who can't a, see it. A, oh, this is going to be a real test. A P O C R Y. I think there's a P and an see, H. See, everybody, he can't even spell it. He's throwing out words. He can't even spell. I'm calling him out on the podcast. Just, All right. Wait, is this words with friends or are we doing <laughs> this words with enemies, right? That's Adversaries right, right here. Uh, but yeah, but no, but uh, whatever term we want to use for a, 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 a myth, maybe that. Okay. Yeah. Most people have this f higher fear of public speaking than yes. it is uh, than death. What was that like? I mean, that first time. Well, okay. I'll tell you that my primary emotion was it was actually anger, which isn't a good thing about me. Uh, so the, the way an open mic works, for those who don't know, is basically it, anybody can perform. You sign up on a list. And I showed up like an hour and a half early to this open mic. And I was like third on the list. <clears throat> and then I proceeded to wait the hour and a half. And then the open mic started. And like an hour went by. <clears throat> my name wasn't called. Another hour went by, my name wasn't called. Another hour went by. Now there's like nobody in the bar left. There's like four people in the bar, and I think we're all on the list. And second to last, like 45th, I finally get called. And at the time, I was really upset. I was like, why? You know, there was this big, cool audience that I could have performed for, and now everybody's tired, and I'm exhausted. And so I was mostly angry, so I kind of forgot about getting nervous. But, uh, in retrospect, the, the guy who runs that mic, his name's Oren B. He's a great guy. It's at the Irish Rover on Broadway Street in Denver, I hope. I haven't, you know, I haven't been out of my, like, cocoon in, like, almost a year, <laughs> over a year, rather, at this point. It's, it's May 2021, for those listening to this 10 years in the future, when I do get canceled, and they're looking back, trying <laughs> to figure out when this was. Uh, anyway, so, Oren B., it, it was a smart thing to do. You don't put up the brand new guy in the beginning, uh, or gal. Uh, or whatever other pronoun there is, uh, or that's not even a pronoun, is it? Guy, gal, that's a noun. Whatever other, if you're a narwhal, you know, and you <laughs> sign up early, but you don't have much experience, look, look, you're going look up late. Look who's trying to call me out over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm just hedging my bets here. I don't know about your audience. Who knows? Uh, anyways, so uh, I went up very late. And uh, so my primary emotion was a little bit of anger. And then it, it got even worse from there. Oren and I are, are, are closer now. Uh, but at the time, I was very upset. And then even worse, to add like insult to injury, I had prepared a certain amount of material. I want to say it was four minutes. And uh, you were supposed to get a light 30 seconds before you were done. So I was waiting for the light at three minutes and 30 seconds. But it came at two minutes and 30 seconds. And... I had all this, what I thought was killer material, which was not killer material. And, and apparently there had been an announcement that the sets were shorter and I missed it. And I, I ended up yelling at Oren. That story is in the book and it's, it's kind of funny in retrospect, but don't ever do that. Anybody out there, never yell. <laughs> Open mic hosts are like heroes and saints and angels of comedy. They are the best people ever. I didn't realize that at the time because I was like new kid on the block, but uh, they're they're the best, and Oren's the best, and, and I was really in the wrong there, and we, we patched things up later, and uh, I've gotten better, and now when I go and sign up, I, I get to go up much earlier, which is nice. And what is that because you, you're beginning, you're getting better in, in your career? Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, I haven't been up at, yeah, I haven't been up in, uh, you know, 13, 14 months, uh, but I assume when I go back, I'll, I don't know about right away, but the basic idea is that the open mic host is trying to put on good entertainment. They're, they're, this is like literally putting lipstick on a pig, or literally isn't the right word, but um, it, it is as close to, what, what's the other one, like uh, making lemonade out of lemons? Like, <laughs> like there, you have 40 comics, and maybe like six of them are going to be funny that night. <laughs> Like 20 of them are funny, but 14 of them are doing brand new material. And that's how you work stuff out. It's like maybe for you when you write software the first time, it's a little buggy uh, and you got to write your tests or whatever uh, to improve it and make it better. And so it's just it's not great when you look at how the sausage is made. So the so the open mic hosts, when they put people up early, they want to maintain an audience because right at the beginning of the show, that's when people will be like, oh, there's comedy here. I didn't come for the comedy. I came for the drinks and the food. Let's go next door to the bar next door where it's going to be quieter. Or they're going to stay and maybe text some of their friends and say, holy cow, there's a hilarious comedy show. It's free. Come watch it. Um, and, and jokes on them because after the first five or six comics, it's, it, it's usually downhill. But, but the open mic uh, host curates that whole thing. They'll save a couple people to go up later. Um, so, yeah, that's why I get to go up earlier now because I'm, I'm a little bit better. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good yet. But that's the title of the book, by the way. Good plug right there. <laughs> not good yet. Uh, I'm still not good. Spoiler alert. I'm going to start working on the next book soon, I think. Still not good. It's, it's, I, think, I think the working title is Less Not Good. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's a double negative, but the idea is, and I, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, the first book was my first six months. The second book, I think, will be the first three years. And then, <laughs> and then I'll complete the trilogy with either five or ten, probably ten, if I can make it that long. That's what I want to do. I, Jerry Seinfeld said it takes ten years to be any good at comedy, and I believe that. Um, looking back, I feel good. Like I get paid. The other day, I got over a thousand dollars in checks in the mail for doing comedy. It was it was like it blew me away. Now this is like one day out of three hundred sixty-five. It was it was a, it was just a coincidence that these came in at that time. And and one of the checks I had paid other comedians more money than I was actually getting paid. But uh, from a revenue perspective, there, there've been some glimmers of hope 
And uh, so, so I can make a room of people laugh, but that doesn't mean that I feel like I'm good, if that makes any sense. It does. And, you know, one, one thing that you write in your book is uh, stand-up requires confidence when every data point you have tells you not to be confident. <laughs> I wrote that. That's great. You did. That's insightful. You know, it's funny. It is, That's good. Way to go, Mark. It's poetic. Well, you know, uh, here's your opportunity to elaborate on that, though, because that, that definitely stuck out to me. So I would love to hear. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about Yeah, that. you have to be a little bit of a psychopath to, to succeed in stand-up comedy, I've noticed. You have to, like, really, really, really believe in yourself uh, against all odds because you really are terrible. And I think the best example, I, I tell this story in the book, is that it's a lot like running a marathon. Like, have you ever have you ever done anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Like what? Have you done a half marathon, full marathon, triathlon? What do you, you look like a fit guy? What have you been at doing? What are you up to? Um, only because it's been mentioned on this show before, but I'm I'm more in the ultra scene. So I've I've done a last year I did my first hundred mile hundred miler, um, but my my flavor is like the fifty mile distance. Wow, that is awesome. Where was the 100 mile? Let's talk about this for a minute. Sorry to bore people no. that this is a retread, but I, I want to hear about this. No, 50. no. Yeah, let's, I mean, hey. this. Where, is, where'd you do the 100 mile? It was uh, it was down in Westcliff uh, here in Colorado. And I lucked out in that, um, the, like, you know, you, you can't just wake up and go run 100 miles kind of thing. And so you, that's going to be my point in a second. Yeah. <laughs> and so right. you, you have to you have to progress to it. And even and I've been living in Colorado for four or five years now. And I came out with the intention not to be a professional runner by any means, but to see where I could test myself and as running goes. I was really lucky this year to be able to do it because the, my past two attempts at trying to do 100 miles have been canceled. And you have to like orchestrate kind of your, I don't want to call it training blocks because I don't train in that sense, but you, ha you really do have to plan ahead to get to, to, to be prepared for that race. So, yeah, so I, I was lucky in that, you know, COVID happened and all these other races got canceled. So there were races that all of a sudden opened up to me that were really great stepping stones for me to do this hundred mile uh, down in, yeah, down in Westcliff, just outside of Colorado Springs. Huh. Yeah, so that's really, you said it, but you kind of answered your own question. That was like a Jedi mind trick right there. The, the, the reason you keep at it is because you have a prior experience where you knew you couldn't do something, but you tried and you tried and you tried and you broke through. And that's, that's the Zelda story that I was telling earlier. Like Zelda, you know, I, I would cry as a kid. I would like throw things. I would get so angry, and, but I persisted and I eventually won <laughs> And I felt so proud and so good because the journey was so difficult. And then later in life, like doing a marathon, which is, you know, like a 5K for 100 milers. But, uh, you know, you can't do it on day one. There's no it's, it's physically impossible for if you just took somebody of, of average, you know, athletic ability, they could not run 26. Their legs would seize up. You can't run 26 miles just on a whim. You really can't no matter how like strong just mentally fit you think you are, it's it's impossible uh, to do it. But if you just go out and run for 10 minutes, and the next week you run for 20 minutes, and the next week you run for 30 minutes, on a long enough time horizon, just about anybody can can travel 26 miles. Maybe they don't run the whole way, but they can achieve the impossible 
on a long enough time frame. For me, that's what that's what comedy is all about. So um, it's a little bit less objective an accomplishment, which that's a little frightening for me. Like when I get to the 10 year mark, I won't know for sure if I'm I, I like, how do I know if I'm any good at that point? Like, I don't, it's hard to know, uh, if I really am good. Whereas if you train for a marathon or a hundred miler, like when you cross that finish line, like heck yeah. And you get a medal or, or a belt or what, what do you get for a hundred miler by the way? Yeah. Uh, usually a belt buckle and some type of metal and okay. whatever. That's amazing. I mean, whatever. you should get a whole parade if you're asking me, that's, a, that's an amazing <laughs> accomplishment. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, but, but you know, and I, I, I want to continue this, I guess, like metaphor, um, of comedy to running because in running, you know, you do, like we were talking about, you do have these progressional, you, these progressive steps to getting to that point. And part of that is in air quotes, like training blocks and, you know, maybe you might go do hills or something, or, you know, you just, you you have variations of how you run. Is there anything like that in comedy? Like, do you ever go to an open mic and have like a speed workout where you're just like, all right, rapid fire, uh, rapid fire, you know, bits, you know, one liners just to see if they're working just to like work on that skill of delivering that. Yeah. I think you're talking about like variation basically, like it's all running. It's just different speeds or different elevation gains or declines. So open mics are kind of the, the training blocks to use your verbiage. Um, I'd, I'd throw in the word apocryphal here, but I still don't know what it means. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'll figure it out for context clues eventually. Something to do with myths. I'm not, is Medusa involved? I don't know. It's a scary word. To is this the SATs? What's happening right now? Anyways, uh, you, yeah, open mics are, are those training blocks and shows over time. Like I, I run the comedy test kitchen. Uh, every Friday for 30 minutes. And it's been great during COVID. It started out so bad. It was really terrible. Like I didn't have this fancy sauna that I'm in right now. People can't see that. It's really just a closet. I call it a sauna because it's like 90 degrees right now. But, you know, and I got the fancy microphone and all kinds of equipment now. In the beginning, Comedy Test Kitchen was a disaster. Like the audience didn't know how to react online comedy. The comedians didn't know how to do it. But now it's really fun. We've had comics from uh five continents eight countries uh 30 i want to say four it might be 35 states and count and growing i'm trying to get all 50 states on there and it forces me it's just like you know telling yourself you're going to run every saturday you know you're going to do a long run every saturday for me i have to write jokes every week because i have to do new material every week for comedy test kitchen so and then in terms of your variation question there are different things you can do at open mics. There's all kinds of, uh, you know, you can tell a story. A story, you know, is, is one form of comedy. You can you can do physical comedy. You know, you might work on an act out one day. Uh, like I have an act out online where I, I pretend I'm a housefly. And uh, so that's <laughs> something I might work on. Uh, you might try and tell a, a pun kind of joke. Like there's all kinds of different like structures to jokes as well. Um <laughs> So you can make your own workouts that way. I mean, most people are, are not quite as organized as that. <laughs> They're just trying to get funny. They're trying to figure, you know, it's really, it's a game of attrition. I, I don't know what that word means, but it, but it's, uh, you know, starts at the same level as apocryphal. So I thought I'd sound smart saying it. Now, now, now I'm second guessing myself. <laughs> it's a war of numbers. I don't know. You write 10 jokes and only one or two are funny. 
but you, you have to go to the open mic to figure that out. And then the secret is now, I wish I could tell, you know, three years ago, Mark, this, if you keep writing all the time, you're going to have so much material. So last night I did a show, KO Comedy uh, show with a, a guy who, you know, tours around the world and uh, he's headlining in uh, Looney's in Colorado Springs pretty soon, close to Westcliff, where listeners, you can run 100 miles if you can find Westcliff on a map. I've never even heard of Westcliff. I've been in Colorado for 20 years. Uh, I, that's amazing. You must run in circles because I'm assuming Westcliff isn't 100 miles wide. It's probably pretty small. Is that is that accurate? It was, uh, there was, it was an L shaped course. So okay. yeah, just, and yeah. do you go into a different town at some point or do you end up in Wyoming? Like how big? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you, it's, uh, I mean, it's two, two fifty mile like laps basically, okay. but in right. the shape of right. an L. Okay. All right. I'm not going to make an L joke right now. Do, he was just making know? the L like shape with his fingers, you know? Uh, anyways, uh, what was I trying to say? I forget. What was I talking about? Like a the gym. game of attrition is all I have. In oh my yes, head. yes, that was it. That was it. It was apocryphal. If you if you ask somebody <laughs> smarter than me, uh, what I was the message I was trying to deliver. Yeah, I was. I would love. So this is what happened. I had a show last night, seven to ten minute set, and yesterday morning I just I worked on my set list. And so what I did was I'm kind of a nerd about comedy, which which has been helpful. Uh, I track like all my all my performances, any open mic I do, any show I do, and I write down like what jokes I wrote. And so whenever I have a big show, I kind of go back over the last 30 or 45 days and just write down all the stuff that I liked doing, that I still enjoy doing. And then, you know, for yesterday, I had like 20 plus minutes of material and I had to whittle it down to seven to 10 minutes. And then, you know, I picked I picked like 14 bits that I wanted to do, and then I re then I recorded myself doing them, and in the first take, it was like 13 minutes, and I wasn't even all the way done, and I, I just cut it off, and then I crossed some things off. I recorded myself doing it a second time. It was like nine and a half minutes. I was like, all right, we're right there. I'm gonna put in this one liner, and I got it to 10 minutes, and then, and normally I would probably practice it some more, but last night I, I just didn't have a lot of time, and I just did it, and, uh, so the, the point of all that is by putting in the work early, I had a lot to choose from and it, and it felt good to have so much funny material. And when it comes to that work, you know, you kind of uh, spoke to it, you know, putting in practice and things like that. I don't, you know, I don't want to say that everyone assumes that comedians are like, oh, they're just getting up and they're just like talking. That's just their natural personality. But, you know, from what I know, it's like, no, you... You, you do, you stand in front of a mirror sometimes, you record yourself. Um, how, how, like, how intensive is your practice before you even go do like a simple five minute open mic routine? Yeah. So in the beginning, it was, it was embarrassing how much I practiced, like, you know, with the proverbial hairbrush in front of a mirror. You know, the cool thing about comedy is you can be doing it all the time in your head. Like, I remember, I, I don't wait in lines at grocery stores anymore, but, you know, in the good old days, you could go into a grocery store or the DMV and just hang around and wait. And I would do routines in my head to see if I could, you know, remember, you know, how I wanted to set up the jokes, et cetera. And that was probably not the best thing. In, in retrospect, you sound like, sounds like you've done some public speaking. You kind of sound like a robot sometimes when you strictly memorize 
what you're trying to deliver. Um, so sometimes it's better to just remember bullet points and just kind of like speak naturally about the bullet points. Um, but I, I practice less now than I used to. And, and, you know, part of that is just being lazy or not having time um, or, or focusing on different things like marketing efforts or, or doing corporate speak speeches, which I do a bunch of now. Um, so I, I, ideally, I would practice a lot, but it, it's, it's hard during COVID to practice. I would love to hear the, like, the progression of just that thought in your head. Like, are you the type? So from what I could glean from information that's out there, you, you are an organized person and you're not one of those, um, you're not just about to raw dog it on stage. Like you're going to go in with a little bit of preparation. And so, you know, I think I've read somewhere, you know, you talk about, and you just spoke to, you know, writing and, and maybe even journaling at times, but is that like, how, how, how organized are you in, in your joke writing? Like, is it, and when you're going through those tapes and you're looking at what's like, what's the cutoff criteria for a successful joke for you is probably the yeah, better question. Yeah, that, that's, it, it's not, I don't think there's a science to it. I wish there was, it'd be a lot more, it, this whole thing would be easier. Um, sometimes, you know, be, because it's COVID right now, I don't have a, a very strong feedback loop. Like I don't get in front of audiences as much as I used to. And it's going to be very interesting. I've really like, it's been like pumping steroids this last year when I, I'm pretty soon I will be, you know, I'm vaxxed at this point. I'm not waxed ladies, but I am vaxxed and uh, I'm going to be back performing in probably mid, you know, next, actually this Thursday, today's Monday, May 3rd, Thursday, May 6th. If you're in New Haven, Connecticut and have a time machine, because I, I imagine this podcast won't be out by then. Uh, I'll be, I'll be performing at a rooftop tiki bar in New Haven, Connecticut this week, which is pretty exciting. Uh, so, and that will be my first in-person performance in a long time. Like last fall, I did some parking lots and like botanical gardens, outdoor kind of things. Uh, but it's been a long time since I've done in-person stuff, which is where you get the audience feedback and you realize what works. Um, but, but in the, because you're asking me this question right now, I'll answer it in the context of COVID, which is I don't get a ton of feedback. Uh, I do once, at least once a week, I have the comedy test kitchen. I get to bounce some things. I do do some kind of writer's workshop stuff where me and some comedian friends, we get together and bounce premises off each other and try and you know help each other punch up each other's jokes and uh, add tags and stuff like that. So it, a lot of it's intuitive. I just kind of feel like something's funny. And whereas three years ago, I would like write everything out in a Google Doc. Like the other day, I wrote a, a probably minute long joke in, in effectively like zero seconds. I just thought of an idea and then I, and then I spit it out. I, I, I ran it past my girlfriend, which is pretty common for comedians. You just run a joke past a friend. And, and this joke was, you know, the idea is that, you know, my girlfriend's very anxious about the whole COVID thing. You know, she's been vaccinated as well. But it's a very like slow, you know, like when we go out to eat, we can't like I want to eat inside, but we end up eating in the car, you know, and then more recently, like maybe we'll go indoors and eat somewhere. But if she sees somebody outside not wearing a mask, we have to like bag up our stuff and go get into the car because she's very anxious. But this weekend we went to Ikea and 
I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden she was very comfortable. There were like thousands of, there were people everywhere. I was feeling stressed and she was like, oh, it's fine. It's fine, Mark. You know, in the Ikea, it was fine. We're furniture shopping. It's fine. You know, there's somebody sneezing over there. No big deal. Uh, but if we want to go out to eat or do anything I enjoy, it's, you know, so that, that's an example of a joke that, that isn't really even a, you don't need to write it out. It's just a very simple premise. Uh, so I don't know if that worked. <laughs> you guys out there in, in internet land can email me and tell me if that worked and we'll do a very slow feedback loop on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to, um, I guess, your, your your routine um or the style of humor that you have it's it's very clean uh, or clean and I, I should say cleaner than most um, yeah how would you but how would you describe your 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 stand-up routine uh well i i tell people i'm colorado's second cleanest comedian and i i could i could tell the rest of that joke but it's not very clean uh so anyways uh, I, I am clean, and I, and I did that intentionally from the beginning. It was kind of a, a, a money grab, if you, you know, my spirit animal, capitalist pig, maybe. I don't want people to think that about me, but I do, you know, I work hard at this, and I would like someday to, you know, <laughs> to turn a profit and make a little bit of money for the effort I'm putting out there. That's not why I'm doing it, but that is a, you know, it, it makes sense if you're going to put a lot of time into something to, to get paid for it. <laughs> And in my research ahead of time, I heard many comedians say that it's much harder to start dirty and become clean later than it is to start clean and, and you know, then later you can branch out. And um, they, any comedian who's been around 10 years plus, they'll tell you they make all their money doing clean stuff. Like you can perform at theaters, uh, but you're going to make the most at like a breakfast uh, keynote event you know, you're, you're weak. Like maybe on Tuesday morning, you address some corporation or something and you're funny and deliver some kind of inspirational message and you're going to make a lot of money there. And then Thursday, Friday night, you're at some comedy club and you're effectively just shilling for alcohol sales. And it's fun. Like that is the fun to get like a hive mind of 200 people laughing with you. That's, that's a blast, but it does not pay well. Um, so yeah, I, I do do clean com comedy, uh, and it, that's an important like trust thing. I, I did a lot of private shows over during the pandemic, which was a real like nice bright spot. I actually, um, the pandemic, I <laughs> sorry, oh, coughed right into the mic that time. I apologize. Uh, I, I try and turn away when I when I cough, but sometimes the vocal cord dysfunction it just has a mind of its own. Uh, <laughs> oh, there it is. Okay, anyways. Uh, the, oh, the private shows that I do, uh, are so fun, by the way. Like I get like TV, like really famous comics who, uh, it would be harder now, but in the heart of the pandemic, they had nothing to do. <laughs> and I would get them to perform for like a, a rural family in Minnesota. Like this is my, this is my favorite example. The, the Minnesota crew, uh, they, they hired me to put on a comedy show and it was me and two other comics. One of them has been in a movie with Billy Bob Thornton. The other one had the number one comedy album on Amazon this year. Uh, sorry, this was last year, last summer. So 2020. And, uh, the, and one lives in New York City. One lives in Los Angeles. The only common thread between them is they grew up in rural Minnesota. So I went out and found these two comics and put on this show for this family 
who was feeling lonely and disconnected during the pandemic. They had to skip Christmas. They couldn't get together like they normally do. And they, I mean, I'm telling you, some of them probably peed their pants. They were for sure crying. Uh, They were laughing so hard. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't get a lot of the jokes. A lot of the jokes were real inside baseball for Minnesota. And it was so fun because it was like specific and personal to them. And it, it was just, it was a great time. And a big factor in that, you know, like they invited their grandma to the show. And you don't want to invite grandma to the show and then have like gross sex jokes or, or whatever uh, during it. And so people like I've built this brand where people trust me to be clean and hopefully to find comics who can be clean as well. And, and that's not always the case, by the way. I had I had one group that asked me for the dirtiest show I could possibly <laughs> I could possibly put together. And uh, and that was a blast, too, for different reasons. It was a lot of fun uh, to do that private online show. but. But another plug, markmasters.co. If you want a comedy show, uh, hit me up. I'll, I'll organize it. Uh, they're they're fun. They are a lot of fun. You know, when when I think of like other entertainment sectors, you know, I think of like music and how artists are able to underwrite a song or like co-write lyrics on a song or some some you know in some way a, a, a an art a lesser known artist is able to contribute to a really popular musicians like album or something. Is there anything like that in, in comedy? Like, are you, do you ever get recruited to go write, you know, uh, write bits or write uh, yeah. jokes Not for yet. other people? Okay. Uh, but that's definitely, that's definitely on the, on the roadmap. Um, it, it would be an honor really to have a, like a famous comedian ask me to, um, you know, to just bounce jokes or, or come up with material. <laughs> Um, and it definitely happens in the industry. People even sometimes try out jokes for other comics, you know, maybe they're, they're too famous to get a good read on material and they'll, they'll pay somebody to, to go tell a joke they wrote and, or tell three jokes and, and tell them which joke works best. It's weird that they would do that because I, f- I feel like being able to deliver a joke is so much more than just the text. It's, it's you know, the delivery. It's yeah, the, the I, I really don't language. know a lot about that. It's yeah. kind of like an unspoken thing that happens. And, and it's I'm not I, I bet once I do get invited to do it, I'll never talk about it again. <laughs> I will just be like, what? What are you talking about? No, because there's probably like some 50 page non-disclosure you have to sign to do that. Uh, I probably ruined all chance of doing that work. The, the Illuminati will listen to this and say, no, he doesn't get any. He can't write jokes for Jerry Seinfeld or whomever. Yeah, I feel I, I want to say that I heard recently it's like over 90 percent of musicians use auto tune, but like over 90 percent of musicians claim they've never heard of auto tune or something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, so you mentioned Jerry Seinfeld, I think a few times now, and uh, okay. I would love to hear, you know, is there, is he a role model or if he isn't like, do you even, do you have role models or people that you well, consider role certainly models? Certainly not in dating. I don't know if you know anything <laughs> about Jerry Seinfeld's no. dating history. His, his wife, they dated, he, she was like 17 when what? he was like 25. Like these days it would not fly. Yeah. There's no way. That, that reminds me of a new joke. I'm working on about Annie, the musical. Have you ever seen Annie or do you know the story? I, I know the story. Yeah. So the rough eye in the new, newer telling, it's like tech billionaire adopts an 11 year old girl. Everybody's happy and cries, but that would never happen 
And like if Jeff Bezos tried to adopt an 11 year old, there'd be riots in the streets like that cannot. That story does not work in a Woody Allen kind of news cycle day. So, all right, that's going to work, I think. I think I don't know how to tell that on stage exactly, but I feel like there's something there. Anyways, so Jerry, yeah, he's I mean, he's a billionaire. I think he's the only comedian billionaire. So you can't knock him. Uh, there, there are so many funnier comedians now that I've, I've been in the industry a while though. And, uh, and he's got plenty of accolades. I don't need to toot his horn at this point. There's lots of other people like, uh, somebody I look up to a lot as an incredible joke writer that everybody should pause this right now. If you're on Wi-Fi and Google Gary Goleman, G-U-L-M-A-N and 50 States, like five zero. He has this bit. It's, it's probably my favorite bit ever. And you'll, the first result that will come up is him doing it on Conan. And it's like, I, I don't know how many minutes long it is. The, the best version is a couple minutes longer than the one he does on, on TV. But it is amazing. And, it, and allegedly, he worked on apocryphally. Um, uh, Here's what know, I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to look this word up for you. Nutritionally, <laughs> apparently, he worked on it for over 20 years or over, over 15 years before he finally got the joke to work and put it in a specific structure. I won't spoil what it's about, but you can listen to whole hour long podcast episodes about him and how he wrote that joke. Uh, and it's incredible. And Gary Goleman, I just think he's, he's so funny. And what I really admire about Gary is that, or Mr. Goleman, I don't know what I'm supposed to call him is that, uh, is he's curated an audience for himself like he uses words like apocryphal and he has like this you know kind of npr tote bag sunday crossword solving you know college degree having just like very kind of intelligent uh audience which you know when i go do an open mic you know they're the people the the, the people i just described there is no overlap what do you call those those Venn diagrams. There is no overlap between the people at, in an open mic audience and, and the audience I just described. But if Gary goes to, you know, middle of whatever, I, Boise, Idaho, he'll fill a theater with a thousand people who want to see him and who will understand his jokes, even though they have lots of three and four syllable words. And I, I think that's, it's really cool. And he, he's super funny and he's worked really hard. And, uh, He's had some successes, which is awesome, uh, but he and he deserves all of them, in my opinion. And is there anything from Gary that you try to incorporate into your own routine or to your own habits? Uh, well, yeah. So that's that's not so much. You can't see that like watching his comedy, but well, I guess uh, one thing that that Gary does do is he's very still on stage, uh, especially modern Gary Goldman. Like he's been doing comedy for. I don't know, 20 or 30 years. So you can find HBO specials from like the 90s uh, where he's got a totally, you know, embarrassing haircut and uh, is, is stomping around stage and he has a different style. But nowadays he's very stoic on stage. And uh, I try and, um, you know, there's something about that. It, it displays a confidence to the audience. It's like he knows what he's about to say is funny and you're either going to like it or not. And he doesn't care. You know, that's kind of the attitude he's projecting. And so I, I would say that when I do get on stage, I, that's something that I would like to emulate, something that I aspire to. You know, when you uh, talk about the confidence, you know, already spoke to the quote that you had earlier. But one thing I, I wanted to know is, you know, 
when it comes to like an audience, have you ever experienced heckling? And how, and, like, and if so, you know, is, is heckling actually, re- I've, I've honestly been to maybe a handful of comedy shows my entire life. Um, okay. And I don't think at any one of them was anybody like air quotes heckling the yeah. the person. It does. Does that happen? And if yeah, so- it happens. I mean, at a well, at a well-run comedy club, a heckler will get booted immediately. Um, but, it does have, especially in like bars when people are, you combine alcohol with people and people are going to be rowdy and, and obnoxious. And uh, you, the, the trick is to remember that the person with the microphone has all the power in the situation, uh, you know, it, it, depending on the acoustics of the room. But, you know, if you can ignore the heckler, that's, that's usually a good strategy. Uh, a lot of comedians have like built in, sometimes you'll see like clickbait YouTube videos that are like comedian destroys heckler and if you knew the comedian you would know the joke that they used to zing the heckler they've told a hundred times before like they they didn't come up with that on the spot although they do a a trick if there are any comics listening to this is to repeat back what the heckler said because one the audience didn't necessarily hear it you know you can hear it because they're yelling at you but there might be 30 or 50 people, if you're lucky, behind them who didn't hear it. And then two, just saying it back buys you a little bit of time to think about some kind of comeback. Um, I haven't had a, a, I have had hecklers, uh, nothing, nothing crazy. You know, nobody's like come up on stage to punch me or anything. And part of that is being a clean comedian. They're not saying anything offensive. uh, So usually. (laughs) <laughs> you never know you, ne- you never know who might be offended by that um random tirade against like clorox bleach or something <laughs> yeah yeah no i i mean i definitely i have material that you know part of comedy is is uh crossing a line and and, and a little bit of discomfort something that you sh- it's kind of like naughty it's naughty to laugh at this like maybe we shouldn't be laughing at it but we are because it's dark and nobody can see me and uh and that is funny <laughs> And I definitely, I not all of my material, but maybe like ten percent of my material is is in that bucket where it's like, should we really be laughing at, about this? And, and if it's a particular item that triggers you, you might get upset by it. And how much truth is that? Is there in those moments, you know, where a, co- a comedian says something on stage and it's kind of it's pretty offensive to a big crowd, and maybe the comedian. No, I don't want to say uses an excuse and like hides behind anything, but then, you know, they say like, Hey, this is comedy. This is satirical. Like, do you feel like being on stage and being in that position as a comedian does kind of give you the freedom to really just say whatever you want? If you think it's a, if you think it's funny. Yeah, that's a tough question. I think, I think it, that ebbs and flows with society and culture. And right now we're definitely in like a cancel culture. And so, I I mean, it does to me, I'm like a nobody. I'm like a, a gnat. In, in the African savanna, in the comedy scene, in the comedy world. So it doesn't really matter. But if I had success, I, I for sure, and I am careful, you know, I, I, I am very careful about uh, what I what I will say um, because I'm worried, you know, that, that somebody will take something out of context. And, and I don't think, I, I think to answer your question, I'm not sure it's a valid excuse to just say, oh, I'm a comedian, you know, this is the, that's not really what I meant to say, um, but it's a that's a very complicated question. That's that's a question for somebody who knows what apocryphal means. I think. Here we go. Apocryphal. 
adjective of doubtful authenticity. Wait, do we want to read this out loud or should we we're, save we're, this for the Patreon, like the paid, the paid subscribers? I'll you leave, need to Venmo $1 to uh, Mark Mark Colorado, Mark with a K. I'll leave the, uh, the synonyms okay. for the paid subscribers. <laughs> okay, read it. Read it. What is it? Uh, of doubtful authenticity, although widely circulated as being true. So okay. a myth, a rumor, um, yeah, you know, yeah, fancier way, I guess, of saying it. It's, it. It honestly is one of those random things that I do remember from my, you know, uh, when I studied for the GRE ten plus years ago, and I had those flashcards. It was one out of like five hundred that I can actually remember, sure. and of course, I'm going to use it every yeah. sentence. Well, I you got can. your your chance here, and everybody else, you can rewind now that you know the definition <laughs> and see if you used it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know the. Um, I think also something again as a somebody who has no comedy experience whatsoever, especially in stand-up comedy, I always feel like if I was if I were you, do people always just assume that you're in character? And when people like so say, you know, you've got friends that well, invite you out, do they invite you out because they enjoy you or they're like, Oh no, he's gonna add some he's gonna no, add some I humor. Mean, let, let's rewind a little bit. The the trick with comedy is not to be in character. The trick with comedy is to just be yourself, you know? Uh, so uh, I, I, what I am on stage, I, I should be in real life and vice versa. So what, what you see and what you hear on stage is what you get. Um, you know, I don't plan. The, the difference is that when I get up on stage, I've planned and practiced what I'm about to deliver, uh, which is kind of like a magician's secret. Maybe I shouldn't tell people that it's supposed to appear like I'm just coming up with it off the top of my head. Uh, but the reality is I've planned it out. Whereas if I go to a dinner party, I'm, you know, I'm just, and, and right now in this podcast, I'm just speaking off the top of my head. Mostly, mostly I, I am cheating and using a couple bits, which have gotten some laughs. So that's, that's nice. But like genuinely, uh, this, this has just been a conversation, you know, cause this has really just been open-ended questions for me where I, you know, like I said, I wanted to prepare for this. I wanted to be respectful of your time. I didn't want to just have you on here just to like shoot the shit over, you know, over nothing. I wanted to actually have some purpose to this, but it, it has been more often than not, like with this random thought in my head of, oh, wait, like I want to know what that's like to stand up on stage for the first time and tell a joke. And, you know, you know, that I would love to, you know, have that story of that first laugh that you had talk about maybe, you know, just um, any, any type of like feel good moment, like just that first time you actually got a laugh from the crowd. Like, do you even remember what that was? Uh, I do remember, I don't remember exactly what the joke was, but I definitely did get a laugh that first time. It was nothing like getting a laugh later with like 300 people in an audience. That is like, there's an, a rush and exhilaration to it. I understand why Jerry Seinfeld, who has a billion dollars in the bank, still performs stand-up comedy. And I worry about this a little bit. Like, I, I think there's like a, a dragon tail you're chasing all the time because you can't, the, the adrenaline you get from, from hitting with a punchline is, it's, it's awesome. It feels so good. Uh, when you worked on something for, it's just like the Zelda thing. You work, you know, in your head, how many bad jokes there were to get to this good joke and how many crappy experiences you had at open mics. And now you're on like a, a famous stage and with a big sold out audience and they're just howling at you. Uh, that's an incredible feeling. And it, it's, you know, you can only get that. You can't get that at Tuesday on at 10 a.m. 
you know, you gotta, you gotta wait till the next weekend or whatever. Um, so it's exciting. It, it's like, Maybe like finishing a hundred mile race, but I have no idea. <laughs> Trust me, the only thing I wanted to do after my hundred mile race was never run again. So I don't think it's anything. It's maybe maybe there's some satisfaction to it, but yeah, sure. it's just genuinely been such a fun conversation with you. And I want to make sure you know I obviously will put everything that we talked about in the, the show notes, especially the definition of apocryphal for people who don't want to go back and listen to it. But basically, <laughs> but, you know, is there, you know, you, you've mentioned your book a few times, but I want to make sure that everyone knows where to find you. So, you know, here's your open, I want you to plug sure. everything you can. And like here, I said, I'll put everything in show notes. Ready? Uh, the Mark Masters on Twitter, youtube.com forward slash Mark Masters comedy, markmasters.co like Colorado is the website. And really send me a note. There's a contact form there. It goes right to my phone. I respond right away. Send me a silly cat picture or whatever. doesn't matter what it is. <clears throat> Actually, you can't send attachments through the form, but once, once we get into a dialogue, you can do that. Uh, I do perform every Friday night on the Comedy Test Kitchen. <laughs> you can find that online. There are tickets on Eventbrite. They're free. We get comics from all over the world. We have some incredible comics coming up. I have the Vail Comedy Show, Vail like the ski resort. Um, right now, so it's May. We, we just had an incredible show in April. Uh, we're taking May off. April show was online, uh, which is fun because you can have comedians all over the world. Nobody knows if they're wearing pants, just that they have really good credits. Uh, but we're hoping to be back in person in June, which right now, a, a couple weeks ago, I was real optimistic about, and now I'm, I'm waffling. I don't know what's going to happen with the, with the June show. But eventually, if you plan a ski vacation to Vail, Colorado, you can come see us live, and it's, it's a ton of fun. Um, what else? I, I do have some tour dates coming up Monday or sorry, Thursday, May 6th. I'm in uh, New Haven, Connecticut at, uh, you, you can find it online, uh, some rooftop tiki bar. Uh, and then I, I apparently only perform on the sixth of each month. Uh, so the next tour date I know about is June 6th, which is a Sunday. And I was told it was in Montrose, Colorado which I have heard of before, even though it's very small, it's down by Grand <laughs> Junction. But I just got more details today. It turns out it's in Delta, Colorado, which is like a third the size of Montrose. It's even smaller. It's like, it's kind of like I got invited to do a TED talk recently, but then I found out it was a TEDx talk. And then I found out <laughs> it was a TEDx youth talk. Uh, so like, just keeps, you know, you, you get these things. So like, it's good. Like at a dinner party, I can tell somebody, oh yeah, I did a Ted talk. But if they ask me any questions about it, it's definitely going down. So that Montrose date, uh, for June 6th is actually in Delta, Colorado. I doubt you get a lot of listeners from there, but you know, it's going to be, I'm going to have fun with it. And, uh, yeah, just that, that's about it. That's enough self-promotion. No, the no. book, not good yet. Not, not good yet. I can, if I can, like I said, from what I've read, it's definitely, uh, you know, a book that I'm going to finish and I can't recommend it enough. And, um, cool. this, you know, this conversation has just been so much fun. So Mark, I, I hope to have you back on the show sometime soon. That'd be great, man. Thanks a lot, Adam. This has been a lot of fun and, and you've done a terrific job. And when you're talking to comedians, smaller words, but other than that, a plus five stars, you were great. Awesome. Well, Mark, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
That's a wrap for this episode of the It Matters to Me podcast with my guest, Mark Masters. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to Mark's personal website, book, and other info so you can keep up with his comedy tour. And do yourself a favor, pick up his book. It really is well-written and something worth reading. Also, if you have a minute and you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review and sharing this show with a friend. And if there's someone or something you think I should have on the show, please let me know by writing an email to adam at itmatterstomepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And until the next one, this is Adam Casey signing off.